0: And gentlemen to the natural born hunter podcast i'm your host will bradley and again tonight we have our special guest host tim ensley and tonight tim and i have on the show the digital content manager for gohunt.com
1: brady miller brady welcome to the show hey it's good to be on trying to get used to this uh video side of it never done a video podcast before so yeah, you your you're learning new tricks. Yeah, I got me a good beer with you guys.
2: Yeah, well, you're, you're just looking You're just looking all backcountry sexy there. So there on video. <laughs> I should have shaved recently then. Why'd I do that? Gosh. You just shave like me.
1: I just shaved the top. Okay, there you go. Makes it easy. That's weird
0: because I just shaved the bottom. <laughs> we really didn't need to know that. <laughs> we Too just came closer.
2: We're all good
0: now. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. So, Brady, GoHunt.com is kind of a how how would you describe? it? I would tell people it's kind of like a one-stop website for anything Western hunting. Is it? Does it do Eastern too? Or is it mostly Western?
1: No, all Western hunting. Yeah, we basically cover I think it's nine Western states right now. Everything except for Washington and California. And yeah, like you said, one stop like research shop like area for everything from you know draw odds tag allocations harvest success rates what's a unit look like from the train access vegetation even break down into over counter stuff or talk about what weapons you want to do let's say you want to go you know colorado you want to hunt mule deer you want to hunt archery boom it'll narrow down all the units in colorado produce the, that search criteria and they can say well i want want a 180 or better buck now it's going to eliminate all the units that don't produce a 180 or better buck so basically it takes, you know, whatever it is, it's going to be like 250 units in a state, quickly narrows it down, kind of like a choose your own ending type book. You could just choose your own data you want to see to meet the criteria that you would want to draw and they can filter in the draws on top of that and just dive down and help get you in the research mode a lot faster and help you draw more tags and show you, hey, there's more opportunity in the West than there really, a lot of people think there isn't, you know, they're like, oh, I have to, eight years, I'm going to draw an elk tag. It's like, oh well, you can hunt elk every single year in really good areas or give you confidence to venture out in your own, you know, out of your own home state and, It's a lot of data.
0: One thing real quick. I paused it because your uh, microphone rubs on your collar. Ah, no. You may want to go t-shirt. Oh, boy. Taking off. Yeah, that's my my clever ploy to get you undressed. (laughs) Change of scenery. Done. I got Tim down to his boxer shorts last episode.
2: Yeah, I was down. I was almost naked.
1: conversation gets hot and
2: heated you gotta do what you gotta do true so
0: it's it's almost like a master computer if you will for finding the right hunt for you to find success in the west exactly yep now i went tooling around on the site and there is a ton more than just the draw odds and you know finding a hunt can you tell some of the listener, listeners what else Go Hunt has to offer as far as website?
1: Yes, I mean we have a lot of people will probably see a lot of our like free content all the time, basically like a skills type article, we have a bunch of hunt stories. And then the, all the insider stuff, that's our paid subscription portion, which that's all the research side. So we have, you know, articles that are exclusive to insider members, so those are like, okay, here's Arizona elk, here's everything you need to know about hunting in Arizona or trying to draw an Arizona elk tag from you know, like I said, tag allocations, what's new for 2017, Her die-off conditions, you know, if there's stuff like that going on and then breaking down, okay, let's say you're a guy who has five points for Elk, you want to try to burn your points, or maybe want to save them, look for those, like, you know, hidden gem-type units, you want to burn them this year, and we kind of show people in the app strategy articles, and then also just other in-depth insider-type stuff. But then you get away from that, away from the editorial side, and then comes in, yeah, like, <clears throat> the big computer data crunch mode where we have our... Our big thing we talk about is our, our filtering 2.0, which is where you take that state, take what species you're looking to hunt, take what size class of animal, what weapon over the counter is it a you know limited entries second third season rifle, narrow down from 200 units to 50 units down to you know maybe five or six, I mean sometimes you can narrow them down to one. If you like crank up, hey, one 100, want a 190 buck in this state, which you know 190 bucks definitely large and it's going to be a, a unit gonna take a lot of points to draw, but you can say, "Hey, show me all over counter stuff," and instantly you'll be able to look at all the over counter opportunities for a state like Idaho, which is huge. You can hunt it every single year and learn more about it, and just like I said, give people more confidence to show you there's opportunities out there to hunt every single year in the West, and not, you know, go hunting all the time.
2: Right, so you take a guy like me. I, I'm, I'm looking for a place to go, <clears throat> Colorado over the counter. Like I did my own D, DIY. Colorado elk hunt once Mm -hmm. uh did my own research this is before go hunt and um ended up picking a place I thought was pretty cool it was over the counter I had a really good time there were a few elk there but um man I I wish I'd have done a lot been able to do a lot more research on that area because it was a tough tough area to hunt because there were so many hippie hikers there (laughs) I mean a ton dude I mean it was and you know, I think so so basically if I go through places like Go Hunt, then you guys are gonna show me let me narrow down that spot um, that's where I'm gonna have the best opportunity. For a guy like me that lives in Arkansas and I wanna come west, this would be the best way for me to research any states I wanted to hunt out west for any species, right?
1: Exactly. And then the, the beauty thing is it too, like you're saying, like if you wanted to go Colorado archery elk over the counter. Like, a lot of guys, okay, like, where do you start then? You have all those over-the-counter places, and then you can overlay the trophy potential. But then also, I think is even more important to that is, like, so we were at a, at a trade show in Oregon recently. Guys are like, oh, yeah, we're like, where do you hunt? They're like, oh, I just hunt in my backyard. I hunt in Oregon all the time. I can hunt elk every single year. And we're like, well, do you know the opportunity you could have if you jumped across the border to Idaho and looked at, like, hey, there's actually more elk in Idaho than in your home state. Maybe you have to drive yeah five hours. It's still an over-the-counter tag. You can still hunt a 310, 320-inch bull. Everyone would be stoked to shoot a nice six-point. But then the harvest success rate is actually better. So you could like sort by harvest success. You can say, I want all the over-the-counter Idaho units highest harvest success for archery. Boom, it'll show you the top one right there. And then on top of that, what I think is cool is sorting by uh, like bull-cow ratios, so male-female female ratios. So you want a higher chance to find a bull that meets that criteria, meets that harvest success. Just going to show you instantly, you know, those. Areas where you could have go in there and, you know, actually, you know, kill a good animal rather than, you know, and not finding animals because you'd only had like six to a hundred bulls. It's like, you know, you can't really do much on six bulls to a hundred cows. Like you'd rather have that, you know, 25, 30 bulls to a cow to, you know, to figure out where you're going to go and how to, you know, narrow it down. Because that all the over-counter stuff is all great. I was like, I mostly hunt all over-counter stuff from mule there all the time or like one point unit and it's just trying to like gain the edge over someone else it's like that's what it's all about it's like hunting you're basically hunting i don't know what's the right word for it, hunting people more than are you know, hunting the animals like where are the people going to go trying to get away from them it's
2: exactly. kind of what
1: you got to do like every time you see people in the field like oh there's eight guys at the trailhead like how are you going <laughs> to navigate and not run into them and still have a good hunt well you got to hunt the people you got to know where they're going to be at and work the strategies around there and that's strategy in hunting, obviously, but you can still do this with research, too, by saying, oh, there's all these people applying in this unit every year, harvest success rate might be going down a little bit, look at some units next door that might have similar quality animals, still over counter, and not have as many people, which is like that, quote-unquote, hidden gem stuff that I like to try to talk about with people. And
2: Yeah, yeah. that's kind of one of the things I do when I do, like, some of those, um, we do some of the seminars, and people ask me about public land, and what am I looking for on public land, and I said... A lot of times I'm looking for human footprints. If I get in a spot and it looks really cool, but I'm seeing two or three different sets of footprints in there, uh, probably gonna change spots. So that's um, that. That's exactly, goes right hand in hand with what you were talking about, hunting people, uh, just trying to get away from the crowds. So that's, that's yep. something a guy like me wouldn't know what, how to do when I got out, just like I did with Colorado. <clears throat> I got out there and I had no idea that there were there were very few hunters there, but I had no idea that was one of the most popular trailheads for people to hike on that particular weekend. Right. outside. Yeah. And I'm like, how stupid am I? I'm up here just with a bunch of hikers and the elk have all moved out. So,
1: yeah, that's kind of, is a problem with Colorado. It's so like September is the best time, you know, September, October to be out recreating because the weather's usually nicer. There's less tourists, but then it's also like all those local people just go out and go crazy in some of those spots. And it's, I need to come up with a better term for it rather than hunting people. <laughs> no,
0: no, I like it because then you know you're gonna get some weird calls like, "Hey,
1: I
2: uh, pretty there, guy. Like, a <laughs>
0: Special section on Go Hunt for uh,
2: seeing where we can hunt these people at. Yeah. What people are we hunting?
0: <laughs> uh, you go to the south side of Chicago, you might have a good chance.
2: There you go. Yeah, exactly. Hey, so um, so Brady, you and I, you and I met each other. I don't know, it's probably been, what, six or seven years ago, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, and we actually ran into each other. At, at we, we met before we actually met face-to-face, and we actually met at face-to-face at ATA one year, and we hung out a little bit. And um, I know not long after that, was funny because I remember I posted a picture of you on – and just, just for a little background, Brady – Brady puts more into his archery than any guy I know, as far as I, I, definitely,
1: I definitely like to geek out a little too much. I think it's, it's, it might be he's, like disorder, I'm not sure what it is,
2: but he's a total archery geek. I mean, dude knows to the ounce what every arrow in his quiver weighs, he knows where every arrow in his quiver flies. I mean, he's got it all written on the veins. I've never. All, right,
1: seen all, all your arrows have to be clones of each other. They have to be exactly yeah. clones. I don't know what it is. It just makes me feel better when they weigh exactly the same. Wait, well, how many funny. arrows do you go through to get that though? You definitely. I definitely burn through a good like six, eight arrows. If I have two dozen arrows, I'm six, eight of them are just target, just target arrows. They're no longer hunting arrows anymore. Just wow. because I, I can't, I can't get a match, or maybe I built them a little differently, and I have whatever I use. You know, more glue or more glue on the insert. Now it's. You know, a half a grain difference, which drives me crazy. I can I can shave things and add things a little bit there, but it's like, well, if I can make them exact, I might as well make them all totally clones. And I feel like maybe maybe it's just in my head, like the confidence thing. Like, oh, I'm going to be I don't know.
2: So what was good that was so I posted a picture of Brady one year on uh, Facebook. You remember the picture we got all the controversy over? Oh yeah, it might have been a, it might have been a
1: yardage, um, yardage mentioned on there, or a sight tape might have been shown, or. Yeah, your uh, your uh, your antelope. My, I, yeah, my Montana antelope. Yeah. <clears throat>
2: and, and I think it was was it ninety ninety yards ninety five. Yeah,
1: yards? I shot. I, well, I shot a I shot a doe the day before at ninety four, and I shot Woo. a buck that day at
2: ninety six. Ninety six, and um, we posted okay. stuff, guess, like, the picture of the sight tape. And let me tell you, the shit storm came in a hurry. I mean, we
1: got – It's like people never look at the backstory. They just see what they want to see right there. And they're like, oh, this guy just goes out there and launches bombs.
2: Well, the thing was, is Brady had been chasing – this was a book buck. And you'd been on this buck for like four or five days. And this was the closest you had actually gotten.
1: Yep. Right? Yeah, it was a uh, it was an awesome area, of Montana. I wish I that's why I'm now living in Las Vegas, I don't get to go do that anymore. by more opportunities. But yeah, this awesome antelope spot. Just you know, it was public land, and we're grinding every single day. Me and this friend, we just you know go up there all the time. Every single we have like four days on the opener, and yeah, I kept seeing him all the time, and I never could get close. You could always get that one thirty hundred yard distance, and we're like, we just we just got to try to get under a hundred yards and let her go because we practice at 120, 130 all the time. It's like. I try to tell people, you do that all the time, you're going to shoot 50 yards and it's going to be money like nailed, like and yeah, they just tore up that photo.
2: Yeah, there was and that was one of the things that that another thing that we talk about and and I got this from that actual photo from from those days and and my and your conversation about that was at that time I had never, never shot past you know, 70 or 80 yards. That was the farthest I would shoot at home and 70 yards was pretty much the top, so I would even shoot at my target range. And so from that point, I started shooting out a lot farther. But one of the things we talked about at our um, – one of the seminars we did was we were and, – and it, and it stemmed from that, that Facebook post was uh, what is an ethical shot? and And yep. at that point, we came up – you know, it's only logical that if you never shoot your bow past 50 yards – then fifty yards is your ethical shot if you're good enough at fifty. I mean, you may yep. not even be good at fifty for that.
1: To you be always got to try to extend that or even try to double it. I try to tell people. So yeah, they're comfortable at forty. You should be shooting at sixty to eighty yards
2: to yeah. make your
1: forty so much dial. Don't just shoot at forty. It's, I mean, yeah,
2: that's the thing. You know, it's that's one of the things we ran into is you know 40, 40 yards is an ethical shot. Fifty yards is an ethical shot. Well, you know, to me at the time, and you're not. And had that extensive conversation about it was that, yeah, if that's the farthest you ever shoot 50 mm. yards, is your max, you, yeah. that's an ethical shot for you. You don't need to shoot past that. Mm. Anything past that is unethical because you don't practice it. You've never shot it. I said, yep. these guys shoot this distance and farther on a daily basis. So they're mm-hmm. proficient at it. Um, it's no it, shooting a rifle at a thousand yards at an animal exactly. he's never shot at a thousand yards at an animal he's got no business shooting at a thousand yards at an animal,
1: yeah. right it, it, it's it's like Shaq, you know he he practices all his shots at the rim dunking it like you never see Shaq shoot a three-pointer like you'll never see a some guy from back east shoot a deer at 80 yards they just don't do that because they're they're thick, thickly wooded and all their shots are 20 30 yards and it's like that's what they're used to and you come out west and it's like you have to open it up and like start shooting three-pointers like Practice all the, all the time, you know, and it's like shoot longer distances makes your inside game that much better, and
2: you know. I agree, and that's and and you, you will you would not believe the 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 hate we got over that picture because he posted it and then I shared it on my on my page and so I immediately got all the all the Midwest and Eastern guys were like <laughs> the Western guys were all like man great shot Brady that was awesome. Oh, yeah. Then we got all the, the Midwest and Eastern guys were, were going, that's stupid, you know. And then and, you have to go through this explanation. And the thing that's crazy
1: is, yeah, 96 yards, shot a buck. The buck went 20 yards, piled over dead. Yep. Like it, it exited out the opposite shoulder. My arrow somehow broke. I was shooting full metal jackets. So it, it broke on the opposite shoulder. The broadhead is still lodged in the opposite shoulder. I have it saved in, in my house right now, just, just sitting there. And then somehow the arrow still exited out the other shoulder. So even though it, it hit the shoulder, the opposite side and broke, it still made an exit because it was hitting so heavy. I was shooting, I think, 520 grain, grain arrows at the time. So this that momentum was just like a log hitting an, an antelope, a little tiny, you know, whatever they are, a 130-pound animal just walks over a little bit and dies. It's like that's why knowing your bow and knowing your weapon, it's just like everything in archery and bow hunting. It's just like you just get that confidence and you could go out there and, yeah, everything has to be right. Yeah, it's totally has to be looking away from you, you know, if he's anywhere alerted, you're either gonna you're gonna nail him or you're gonna totally miss him at a at that distance. It's
2: exactly. Um, one other thing, I don't mean to gather up all the conversation, but there's some there's another story I remember that uh you and I talked about before, and this is before you went to work at Go Hunt, um, and you and your dad went to Alaska. Oh yeah, British that, Columbia. Your your first your, your yeah, you went to British Columbia. Yep. You went to British Columbia, is where it was, and that's where you killed uh, a moose and a, and a goat? Yep,
1: killed a moose and a mountain goat with my bow, yeah.
2: And tell, tell us a little bit about that story, because I remember that story, and it happened pretty fast for a guy yeah, was, that had never been there before. That was your first trip ever? First first trip out of the country
1: hunting, yeah, just like a total, you know, like what everyone says, like, oh, that outfitter, because you have to use an outfitter in B.C., to legally hunt there so we had a book through an outfitter and then we get up there and like oh yeah you'll have a chance maybe to get a moose with a bow mountain goat same thing you know it'll struggle but it's a it's a 15 day hunt and so right. be, me and my dad both had tags my dad was going to bring his rifle up my dad just was gonna go for moose i was gonna go for moose and mountain goat i actually really wanted a mountain goat i always thought i saw mountain goat's my dream animal it still is it's like just the monarch of the mountain i think and you know they're up in the nasty craggy peaks and so we get <clears throat> get all the way up there, and where I'm sitting there shooting my bow ahead before we get in there, and you know I'm just launching about like seventy yards of the target, and the guy's like, all right, well, you know, good luck, but be be prepared to use your dad's gun, to, you know, when it comes down to the wire, just shoot something, and I'm like, all right, I can do that, and then. So we get all the way in there, we horseback in, and the first day, we you know glassed up a bunch of goats, and we got to go after them, glassed up some moose, end up stalking down a moose, and blew out of stock, and you know the first day we were there, and this is like 35 miles in the backcountry, we had like a you know, eight-hour horseback ride, and it was just super far in. It was just the, you know, picture-perfect scenery ever. And then, so we're coming back from that day, and we're riding on horseback. We see these two goats above our, above our camp, They're like, way up there, like, a long ways up above the camp. And it's like, hey, we should go after those in the morning. And then sure enough, we woke up in the morning, couldn't find them, Hike all the way up there. So this is day two of the hunt. I glass up my first goat the day before. So day two, we get all up on top. We see these goats again after, you know, climbing for whatever it was, four hours, to get up in the, in the, in the rocks. And the goat's like right down below me, like you know, 250 yards away. So the first goat I've ever put a stock on, just to make it shorter, shorter, shorter. I I killed my first, I killed the goat on the first stock, ever. Like just totally unheard of, which was like the most amazing thing ever. So, so it was like a, I think it was. So it was like roughly 60 some yard shot, like true distance. But I, I shot it for 30, 31 yards or
2: 32. Holy
1: crap. So the angle cut on this thing was just insanely steep. I was shooting off my knees. My limb was almost touching the ground. I have have a really big, long back bar stabilizer with 16 ounces of weight, and that was, like, almost digging in the dirt as well. I'm just, like, leaning over this cliff, just, like, looking straight down on this goat, just bedded, not even knowing what's going on. And, yeah, so I pegged the goat, and it runs a little bit and stops, and then I end up going down the mountain a little bit again. I get another arrow into him, and this goat just starts tumbling down like this avalanche chute. 900 feet sun resulting in the air I'm just like oh yeah, it's, everything's toast I thought I was done like and then my dad comes over and this is like the coolest part I think this is probably what part you're talking about my dad just is like jumping all over me saying oh my god you just killed a effing mountain goat with your bow <laughs> like what are the odds of that it's the first stock you've ever taken on a goat you killed it and what are we gonna do for you know the 13 more days that we're there it's a like day two of the hunt so, yeah, we get, get the goat, pack them all up or whatever. The horns were actually totally fine. Nothing was wrong except the face and the goat was all just demolished. Like, you could take the nose of the goat and the head would be still, but, like, the nose, you could move back and forth. It was just, it was broken nose. nose. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, my mouth's all scarred up and stuff. It just adds character. I thought about getting a different cape for it, but I was like, no, it's just what it is. And, you know, just, so, yeah, second day of the uh, British Columbia hunt, I shot my goat with my bow. Get back to camp. Next day, we're going out. Oh, actually, the day before, we ended up seeing some moose when we were going up there. It's so, like, oh, there's moose hanging around here. That's cool. Next day, we wake up in the morning, walk out a little bit. Hey, let's go halfway up the mountain where we were mountain goat hunting and start glassing for moose and start looking. And, like, we literally walked maybe a half mile from camp, and boom, there the moose were a bull and two cows. So I started, like, going in on them, stalking after after them. We did the whole, like, holding the bow, Jim Shockey style, trying to walk closer to them. Actually, worked. I got, like, 100, 110 yards from the moose. And they were behind me calling and stuff like that. And the moose was running around, like, chasing the cows. And finally, he kind of spooked off. And we got up on this little ridge and glassing down. like, Brady, you should go down there right now and spot and stock that thing. Because you love spot and stock me older. Just go after him and try to kill him yourself. We're going to sit up here and watch you go through the whole thing. And they're like, if it takes you all day to kill this bull, because like walked off and bedded some timber. like it takes you all day to kill him, whatever. We're just going to sit here and enjoy it. So, yeah, I just went on my own for, you know, the next two hours. They were up above me where they could see me. And. I did the whole thing where I could, like, this was like a picture perfect. I could stalk a moose. I was also calling. I didn't know how to call a moose. I was just making the old you know, noise I hear on TV all the time. I'm just going after him a little bit. The cows end up coming towards me. They come, like, 15, 20 yards. Let's hear Let's <laughs> hear a little uh, moose call. Oh, man. I don't even know. I'm going to, what do they do? They close their nose and go, ahhh. That, 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 yeah, that was working? That sounds good. That was pretty okay. good. Sick moose, but sounds like a moose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's been a long time. That was 2013 that I went the moose hunt. So I, my my maybe my skills are a little washed up. But, but uh, yeah, so I, I kept calling at the moose. They would come closer. The cows were the bull was still bedded down. So I had like moose interactions all the time. But I was also stalking in through the timber and you know navigating it and waiting for the cows to bed. I would get up and move closer. And so finally the bull. After I was like making that noise forever, and I was re- raking, you know a. A little log i found that tree trying to get him to stand up and come closer to me and finally stood up and walked across this opening and it, you know, it was 65 yards away and I just you know came to full draw and just like blanked out basically and somehow an arrow released and went perfectly well, I Drifted a little bit far behind but i could see the arrow sticking out the other side of him, like the broadhead still at 65 yards i had the broadhead sticking out the other side because i was shooting you know really heavy arrows at the time too and i'm just like that's the third day of the hunt right now and <laughs> You know, after a little bit of the moose, I had to shoot them a couple more times just because they're just giant animals. But day three of the hunt, and I'm done. You know, it's just like unheard of. Like I went the day before, first on a mountain goat. And this is the next day. This is my second on a moose. I guess you'd call it third maybe because I had that stalk earlier in the day when I was trying to hold the bow over my head. And just like, I'm done. And we had 13 more days left to our Which is like sometimes I don't know how I get lucky or what happens when I'm hunting. But it's just like all comes together. Or it's just like that grind determination. I just like go after something and I'm like, want to kill it.
2: Yeah, because you've – I mean, we've known each other for a long time, and I've never known you to, to, to go after something for four or five days and come back empty-handed. I've, I've just never – I mean, I know you have, but – Oh, yeah, I definitely have. But it just seems like Brady's just got that persistence, and I always, I always tell everybody, like, for, for, for a Western man crush, man, I, Brady's like on oh, <laughs> <laughs> the Western man crush because uh, – uh, and then you moved to Las Vegas and you, and you immediately start hunting in Nevada yep. for mule deer. And your first year there, you were successful, if I remember right, correct? Yeah, I was like the,
1: yeah, I drew a tag as a non resident when I moved down here. And it was like, that's what I liked about moving. So moving to Nevada was actually you know, a super awesome thing, obviously. Now I work for a hunting company. Before I'd, I worked for you know, the federal government and fishery stuff. So I was hiking around a lot. But now, like doing this, I, I always wanted to hunt you know, the really high alpine. For mule deer and like velvet like montana doesn't have the high alpine you can't really they strip their velvet you know the first couple of days of the season so i never got uh, a velvet mule deer i'm like oh, i just want a velvet mule i think velvet bucks look so badass it's just something uh-huh. about a deer so yeah moving to nevada i could you know i scout all these you know high country spots i was hunting over 10,000 feet and it's just like that was that's a hunt we filmed uh we released it yeah a couple of years ago on go hunt called elements and it's still one of our like highest viewed films, just like that whole backcountry grind. We had two pack goats with us. So, we had that little interaction of having like these two little like dogs with horns basically. These, these pack goats just love you. Like, there's, yeah, little, little tiny goats and they just want to be with you all the time. They cry when you leave them. They want to be jumping in your tent with you. They want to cuddle with you at all, all hours of the day. They're just, they're just characters in themselves, you know. So, it was like really cool to, to be with them and,
2: that, that's yeah. crazy because of all the stuff I've heard of in the back country, that's the first pack goat story I've heard. I've heard llamas, horses, oh, yeah. mules. But I've never heard pack goat. So I'm, they, I just they basically carried. We had three
1: guys, so we had me and another guy who worked for us, and we had a camera guy. So they carried almost all our mountain house, bunch of you know all the random camera gear and stuff like that. I think they could carry like thirty-five pounds each. So it's not right. a lot, but when you, you think about that, that's seventy pounds you don't have to carry. You know, like,
2: Oh yeah.
0: That's an extra okay. man right there.
1: Yeah.
2: And so, so let's go into that because I know how I know how you're really OCD about your pack for the backcountry.
0: Wait, yep. wait, wait, wait. Uh, Tim. Tim, you're telling me the guy who goes through dozens of arrows and cares about how much glue goes into each insert is O C D when it comes to his pack? Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah, I I guess it works out that way. I don't know how that happens. Brady's Infamously, oh, he's just famous for for his 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 meticulous pack organization yeah, to detail. Made fun of
1: a lot too, though. Like, so I'm super into lightweight gear. I love geeking out on. Hey, okay, this is a titanium stove, new titanium spork. This is whatever. This new lightweight quilt compared to a sleeping bag, and I cut off all my zippers and all my weird you know tags and everything. So my pack's super super lightweight base weight, but then right. I throw in a. Yeah, you yeah, go cut off your zippers. I cut off the zippers and I'll put like a really, sh- really small, lightweight, like parachute cord. Get rid of the metal zippers. Like zippers are. They, <laughs> are they all, it, it sounds crazy. You know, I guess that so sound these, like, like the little jingly, oh, taggy yeah. things. The YKK zippers, yeah, I get rid of those and change them with P cord. Really? If, 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 if you add up on your pack and you had 20 some zippers or. You know, and you put all P-cord on there. and You might save, I guess, maybe an ounce. It's not ah. a lot to a lot of people, but that's why I get made fun of in the office all the time. Because I have, I always ounce count everything. But then when it comes to my weapon, my bow weighs almost 10 pounds. Right. And all my camera gear, you know, I have a DSLR. I have three lenses yep. I carry all the time and all these extra batteries. So, like, I, my thought is I'll just cut every weight I can. Like, I even, like, skimp on food a lot of times. I'm only having, like, maybe 1,500 calories a day in the backcountry. So it's it's pretty it's pretty bad, but it's like then I can carry all this cool camera gear, take a bunch of cool photos, and then my weapon I like rather have okay. And my weapons what's going to kill? My optics are what's going to help me kill. So I always carry you know a spawning scope. I'll have 10 by 42 binos. I'll have a 15 power uh, binos. I'm off of a tripod. So all that stuff is just helping me kill. And then I'll sacrifice everywhere else. I'll sacrifice in sleeping. I'll kind of be, I guess, not 100 percent comfortable when I'm sleeping. You know, I have a 30 to 30 degree bag and. You know, I don't really have, I have a super lightweight, you know, sleeping pad that when I'm, you know, when it's dipping down to the teens at night, I'm kind of miserable, but I always have all this extra clothes too. So it's like, well, why do guys want to carry a heavy sleeping bag that might be a zero degree bag, a really nice insulated pad when you could just skimp on a few things and wear your hunting clothes while you're sleeping at night. Cause they always, they always bring those clothes back in there anyway. I might as well wear them. Right. So yeah, there's my OCD coming out and i just like the packing. stuff. So, but then you talk to my fiance and she's like, well, you're not an OCD even at home. Like. Your your man cave is a mess and a disaster all the time. You have gear everywhere, and I'm like, well, yeah, that's so. That's interesting. That's
0: interesting. I see how that could happen. How in one area you've contained it all. You focused all the OCD ness into one thing. So, other than zippers, is there any other way people may not have thought of to cut weight from their pack or from, I guess, their their gear?
1: Uh, back in the day before, I haven't done this with my carbon tripod, but I had an aluminum tripod, really lightweight aluminum. I would drill holes in my aluminum tripod. Really? Just to save weight. But then, then I started thinking, okay, the wind's kind of coming through here a little bit, and the wind maybe will go through that tripod, or maybe it's affecting it because like, it was super lightweight, so it was almost too light to glass because you would see the movements at long distance, so I kind of got away from that. But that was what I used to do back, way back in the days. I mean, I. they even make fun of me for cutting off the tops of the mountain house. You know, a mountain house, mountain house bag will have that top you can zip, rip off, and then underneath it has a seal. I get yeah, rid of that top before I even go in the field. I'm like, <laughs> why pack that in the backcountry? You're going to throw that away or try to burn it when you're back there. You have to pack it all the way out. Just get rid of it before you even go hunting.
2: That uh, makes sense. Makes sense to me. Now you see <laughs> you see what my backcountry man crushes, Brady <laughs> <Yeah>. Miller?
1: <laughs> Brady's going to be moving on, though,
0: to where it's like, why even bring these bags? I can just put the mountain house in my pockets, and when I get there, I'll just <laughs> take it out of the pocket, and I'll put, I'll put it in.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, now, now I don't even use mountain house bags anymore. Now I do my own freeze-dried. I take the mountain house, empty them in my own freeze-dried thing so I can portion them out easier, and just cook it right in there. So it's, yeah, slowly getting a little bit crazy with the lightweight category. But like I, mean, I said, I'm I impressed, But there has
0: to be somebody, I always think, no matter what it is, there has to be someone who is willing to become obsessed with the pursuit of excellence beyond what everyone else is doing. Somebody who really wants to sharpen that edge is fine as they can. So guys like us can pick up on like maybe a few of the things you do and be like, Oh, you know what? I'll start, I'll start doing this. This is a good idea. I saw him doing this. I mean, I don't think I'm going to start tearing tops off anything, but I think <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of things that the, um, uh, maybe a little less concerned about weight person can pick up on to maybe improve
1: what they're out there carrying around. Yeah. You know, just, just even like people who think you need to have a dry bag for everything too. It's like you, uh-huh. you put all your clothes in a bed ba- a little dry bag, all those dry bags add up to weight in your pack. Your pack is already slightly waterproof as well. And you usually have a rain fly on top of your pack. So really why do you need those dry bags? I always uh-huh. use my game, my, I always use my game bags. So all my, the stuff I would pack out all my my deboned mule deer meat when I'm going into a i because they're not stinky yet. I've already cleaned them. Those are my dry bags because I have to have them when I kill. So I throw all my clothes in those. And once I'm hunting, I'll still I can still use those game bags to store things to store my food in as like a day, you know, supply of food, throw my protein bars in there, throw in my little protein shake and on I go throughout the day. So like little weird things like that. Like just I mean it sounds crazy to say, okay, I'm cutting an ounce here, I'm cutting another ounce here, but you add up things. 16 items where you cut down an ounce, that's a pound. You just saved. And so it's like all those weirdest little things you can think about that you can save weight on and not have to pack them with. It's just less weight on your body and more, you know, you're more ready to go every single day and you're not tired. And and a lot of different strategies for somebody. It's like, oh, well, you can just have more food and you can have more calories and maybe be more energized as well. So there's that side of it, but then you have to pack all that food in and you have to pack it all back out. So
0: Costs energy to get it all in.
2: Yeah, exactly so you're you're like for years for all the years i've known you like i know you've been super hyper mule deer guy like like is mule deer still one of your biggest oh yeah passion? and is that still you, you do you ever just think man i'm I've, I've 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 killed all these great giant mule deer you know i, I want to go off and do something different or other than i know you've done the, the moose and the goat and and you've been on a lot of different hunts, but I mean, I know that every year I see you somewhere with a, well, just look behind you on the wall there. I mean, I don't know if those are yours or not in the office, but I'm sure they no, are. Those, yeah, those are Renzo's. I don't I don't want to bring up my mouse for the office
1: right now, but definitely that's <laughs> what I mean. It's addiction. I have Mule right behind me. I have there and over there right now. And it's like, yeah, I mean. I'm just a mule or nut. I don't know what it, it, what it is about them. Like, I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm used to hunting whitetails when I was, you know, in high school and stuff like that. And then once I had a chance to move up to college, whatever that was now, 13, 12, yeah, 14 years ago or something like that crazy now. I don't know. You yeah, went, went to
2: college? Was that? You went to college? college in Montana. Uh, Bozeman or where'd you? Uh, Missoula. Missoula, Missoula. Yeah. I couldn't remember if it was Bozeman or Missoula. And <clears throat> so your job with the federal that, that where, where you work for the government mm-hmm. i can remember you telling me back in the day that you were in a helicopter all day flying
1: oh yeah I flew, these- hel- I flew in a helicopter uh, probably two three times a week for quite a few months I, I probably have i don't know how many hundreds of flight time like flight days of being in a helicopter just flying up downstreams looking at tracking fish we had radio we had uh little uh, radio tags and every fish and we just track them on radio frequency and mark them every day where they would move to and and so that was pretty badass being able to fly all these places and see this cool country all the time which i wish i would have hunted it more because I, I was seeing it from the air all the time but like right after that's when i left and moved down to las vegas but right. being able to fly in a helicopter and see all the scenery and then we were backpacking all week too so that's like how i kind of got really psycho into backpacking and started because of, I, I had all this opportunity to test gear all the time because we were backpacking you know six seven, nine days at a time. Sometimes sometimes we only go out for a day and come back to a vehicle and then day hike back and forth, but we're backpacking all the time. So just had a chance to try out new, whatever new stove, a new sleeping bag, just refine what I liked and what I didn't like and what I liked for clothes and what I needed for like different temperatures. So just like, you know, all like building into a science of what I need to backpack. You know, I was always doing science at the same time, like doing fisheries work, but I was like in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, I'm training right now for hunting. That's why when I, when I did a lot of backpacking back in the day, I would wear heavy leather boots. Like, they were great in the rain, great in the logs. We were bushwhacking everywhere. Then once hunting season came, I just switched to my Solomons, super lightweight hiking, just like running shoes, and I would fly right. up the mountains, you know? It's just like those weird little things. That I would, like, torture myself in the summer carrying these boots, and then when I was done, and just you know, doing weird things like that. So, like, the whole being in the fisheries stuff for a while, like, that's, I think, maybe who I am today, you know, just – just the love of the backcountry, love these crazy adventures. We'd be, you know, h- hiking in the rain, working in the rain. So now, when I'm hunting in all those nasty conditions, I look back on it like, well, I used to do this all the time. It's like nothing different now. And now I'm trying to go out for an animal, which is what my passion is. And so it all just works, I think, together. Everything you do in life is all those like, weird experiences. You just got take take them for whatever they are and throw them into throw them into mule deer hunting, which is what I do now. It's like, like we were talking earlier. That's like what I love to do is mule deer, mule deer, mule deer. Like I'm not an elk guy. I could care less if a bull's bugling right next to me. Like I could. You see a one 160-inch mule deer, a 300-inch elk that's bugling his brains out. I have tags for both. I'm going to go after that mule deer right now and then maybe think about the elk. Even though the elk animals are big and I understand the lure of going after elk and googling, but it's just like, I don't know, being able to glass a mule deer, watch him feed, watch him sleep, watch his eyes moving around just like every day, just like, I mean, I guess it's kind of psycho in a way, you're just stalking an animal all the time, like knowing exactly what he's doing. Where is he sleeping? Where is he eating? Where is he going to the bathroom? It's like you just know everything about him. It feel like you're...
2: One with him, you know. Yeah, that's uh, that that's kind of the same thing with 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 me. I mean, everybody asks me all the time about elk, and listen, I I do. I mean, eventually one day I do want to go try to you know try to get on a good elk, and I did it. You know, the one hunt that I did by myself, man, I totally enjoyed it. I was there for a week and I had a blast. Now, I will say, I was on the phone pretty regular with Willie Schmidt. Trevin Stoltefus guys that were there, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? Where do I need to look? You know, I'm constantly looking for some kind of guidance. But um, it's the 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 elk have just never bothered me. You know, like my mm-hmm. next is, my next thing on my agenda is, is mule deer. Like that's where I want to go. I want to go. I want to go hunt mule deer. That's that's yeah. my next. And I've been chasing whitetail for all these years, and and I love it. I still love to go hunt whitetail. This year, um, I'm going to team up with uh, Heads Up Decoy and do uh, try to do a spot and stalk on a on a whitetail with the decoy hooked to my bow in Kansas. And oh, then. yeah.
1: That'd be a rush.
2: <clears throat> cool. And um, But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. It's not that, that I don't think I ever want to go on an elk hunt. I think I do. You know, I want to go on a good elk hunt. But something about mule deer just always intrigued me, and I don't know why. I just haven't really pulled the trigger mm-hmm. to go. I guess because well you, you, one one reason you, you can hunt mule deer earlier in the season than we can whitetail and exactly. uh, generally I'm trying to get I've, I've already got so many whitetail hunts that I can't You know, I'm, I'm like god I just can't squeeze it in but I think this year I'm actually going to try to squeeze in one mule deer hunt and and it'll be public land over the counter and I'm kind of looking forward to it so you know it probably won't be anything like what's on the wall back there <laughs> I mean, any, any mule deer is a trophy.
1: That's the thing. Like a lot of guys are like, you know, the symbol of the West is an elk, and it's like I, they're they're awesome animals. They bugle. They're really cool. But it's like when I see, you know, mule deer at ten thousand feet in velvet, just in the summer range, you know, up in the top high peaks, it's like they're in some more remote stuff than mountain goats. That's why I used to think mountain goats were were awesome. I still do, but it's like a mule deer. It's the way they're. The way they're wired, it's like, you know, similar to whitetails. When I was on whitetails, like, they're wired a different way. They're so cagey in their own little sense. They'll allow you to get away with certain things when you're stalking them. But then other times you do one thing wrong, they, you know, are totally gone and out of there. It's just, yeah, they're cool. Those big, those big old forks and the, the big boxy frame walking around, it's like,
2: you can't beat that. I think I just, I might just take a crap on myself the first time I saw one out like yeah. those big antlers just I know I know Jason Mazinger we were talking about doing a hunt a couple years ago and it didn't work out because he ended up having to go the same time the only time I could go he was going to be out of town he was going to take me to the Missouri breaks over yeah. the count where we turkey hunt up there where we've oh, always yeah. gone did the turkey camp. Um he said now it's not a trophy unit I'm not going to guarantee you you're gonna see a hundred and ninety inch mule deer and I said dude I've never killed a mule deer so you know the first forky that comes by, me is probably gonna get <laughs> first yep. forky. I a good on. I'm probably shooting. You know, so um, I just want I want to do that. I want that experience. I think that'd be, um, I think that's that's probably my next big experience. Is gonna be gonna be mule deer. I do something about them. I watch a lot of mule deer hunting and watch a lot of y'all stuff and I watch a lot of films on YouTube and and Vimeo of other people's mule deer hunts and it's just it's something that's slowly intriguing me um and one of the things you said that was interesting there was about some of the similarities and some of the differences i know i had some guys uh uh wanting to come out and, and whitetail hunt and they're like well we're going to come out and you know to arkansas or to, to oklahoma or kansas and we're gonna we're gonna put our boots on the ground we're gonna spot and stalk. we're gonna put boots on the ground show you guys how to kill them and i'm like there's a reason why we hunt them out of tree stands up here, dude. Exactly. <laughs> you 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 can get in the woods with with a whitetail in big timber, and chances are good, you you you're never even going to see him. He could be a hundred yards from you, and you're not going to mm-hmm. see him. Um, mm-hmm. We hunt thickets, so being able to hunt something in wide open spaces to me just is totally intriguing.
1: And yeah, that's that's kind of the thing why I fell in love with it too. Because you're just like. You're making your own success every day. You're glassing animals up, so it's if you don't find any animals there, grab your backpack, hike over the next ridge, glass a new area. You know, you're just seeing lots of country, seeing lots of animals. Then you have a chance to see all these weird predators. You know, I see I glass up so many. I got not so many, I guess, but I see a lot of mountain lions when I'm out there, like just really? doing their own thing out in the open. And like I've seen a few wolves when I was in Montana, just like grizzly bears, black bears. Like when I, I remember just hunting Minnesota all the time, hunting in my tree stand, sitting there. You know, I was reading a book, and it's like I see three, four, five deer at a time. Like oh, west, sometimes I see like you know thirty, forty deer a day, Right. and I could easily see more if I wanted to keep you know bumping ridges and bumping ridges. But you see so much more, more animals, and it's like you know it keeps your it keeps your confidence level higher, I guess, and keeps you more focused on you know keeps that tension up. And
2: so, so you guys just—I know even since the beginning of Go Hunt, you guys have always kind of done some film production production for go hunt and i know in the last couple years you guys have gotten even more and more into the film production what kind of stuff are you guys filming now i mean
1: yeah we got
2: to see the films
1: yeah so right now we're uh trying to step up our you know our game on film we always took the approach of you know more like a documentary style on all of our films just like having no odd no like you know music playing in the background it's all the natural sounds and just like letting like the two characters tell a story basically so it's like you and a deer the character you are as your hunting partner and the deer as a character like the situation we're with the, with the pack goats you know they just added that little you know cool factor to it and we just you know try to roll things and try to make it different than what we see out there but i mean that's I mean, that's kind of like the this not like struggle right now is we're trying to like figure out what we're we gonna do for next year what are we gonna do different and so I think now we're going to try to do, you know, kill a couple more Mueller films and try to do some elk. We have a really good elk film coming out. We actually, I mean, yeah, everything you can find right now is all on our YouTube channel. That's our main thing. Our videos are, we have them on Facebook too, but YouTube's a lot easier, but yeah, we have an elk hunt coming up. That's really good. It's a Utah elk, archery elk hunt, just phenomenal bugling footage, you know, elk fighting back and forth with each other the whole time and snow and just like that grind of it. And then we have a New Zealand film. We're coming out with too. Uh Lorenzo was on that, Or my uh the owner of go hunt and yeah just got a bunch more mule their stuff and trying to branch out and you know just keep doing the whole western struggle kind of thing like not like every hunt needs to be a struggle for a story but it's like that's kind of how it is when you're like in the west it's like there's always a weird struggle aspect i think that's why people really like watching you know that western style hunting because you never know what the elements are going to be like is it going to be raining it's going to be snowing is the rut going to be non-existent and you're grinding out a lot of people you're running into because over counter thing it's just Documenting that whole thing is like what we're trying to, you know, all be about.
2: Uh, yeah, I've got a I've got a t shirt that uh a guy you guys probably both know, Zach Griffith sent me a t-shirt back earlier this year and it says Bow Hunting Sucks on the front oh, of yeah. it. And it's kind of a play on words, and I wear it a lot. And I wore it in my film for Bad for the Badlands Film Festival. And I had some some people from around here and some mid there, they come up and they're like, Why are you wearing a bow hunting sucks t shirt? And I'm like, it's kind of a play on words from the guys out west because Every time, every time you go on a bow hunt, it's a struggle. But oh, it does
1: it. suck too sometimes.
2: Ugh. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you come out of there going, "God, you know, I could, I, I would have been tagged out if I'd have had a rifle tag." Um, but mm-hmm. it's a struggle with the bow that we all, I think, is the reason why we're all bow hunters. You know, and and I know that's why I am because I know that, you know, rifle hunting. I have nothing against rifle hunting whatsoever. I mean, my whole family they're all rifle hunters, but the struggle with, the with the bow was what kept me motivated to hunt because I wanted to, it was more of a challenge for me. So, um, I think that, you know, trying to explain to people how that, that bow hunting sucks t-shirt resonates into Western hunting is really where it, where it comes from, you know, from just mm-hmm. the struggles that certain Western, you know, Western guys in 10, 12, 13 days, like yeah. you're, British Columbia hunt was kind of unheard of. You know, you tagged out in three days on the two animals you went out there for on a 13 day hunt. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, we struck, we struggled the rest of the time to try to find my dad a moose for a rifle. It's like there was, right. the weather was perfect when we were there and all of a sudden it's changed. You never know. And I think that's, also, that's also why bow hunting is so fun. You know, like I'd rather grind out sometimes and take an animal on the last day and experience all those weird things you see and learn more stuff about. Like for me, mule deer, so it's like, if I tagged down the first day, I would have no, I would have how many days of hunting in my career, you know, very few days of hunting. If you kept tagging out all the time, like I'm not saying rifle hunting, you always tag out, but it's just like bow hunting, you get to struggle every single day, four, five, six days in, like all of a sudden now you take an animal, all those days you learned, take down the next hunt. It just like makes you such a better hunter, makes you more like you enjoy, you earn it. It's, it's addicting sport.
2: Oh, I agree totally. I'm, 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 I'm getting more and more geeky about my archery stuff. I'm not to the point that that Brady is, but I do get more and more geeky about my stuff. You know, I even catch myself sometimes uh, just going through and weighing my arrows for no reason, even though I've already weighed them like four times that week. You know, I'm like, "What does this work?" Arrow weight? The Why Earth
1: might have rotated a different way, and now they weigh a little <laughs> bit differently. You never know. Do you, ever, do you ever go back through and
2: reweigh your arrows like later?
1: <laughs> Yeah, because then I always question my scale. Like I turn my scale on, is there like something on there that's making it weird? And now they're different. I they re-entered it in my Excel program to spit it all out, and yeah, I don't, I don't like doing that. It's worse <laughs> is
2: when you put, uh, so when you, you've already got it wrote on the vein, then you go, you, you you shoot that arrow a few times, you go in, and you weigh it again, and it's like, it's like two grains lighter, <laughs> two grains heavier, and you're like, yeah. how did this happen? You know, why? How did this happen? I haven't done anything. It's a yeah, uh, not a good thing to have. You make yourself crazy. It's just like it tricks you. So you guys, so at go hunt. Are you guys um, ever going to get into any of the eastern tag draws, like Iowa or Kansas or any of that stuff? I don't know if we will. I
1: mean, right now we basically want to focus on any state that has mule deer and elk. Those are really are you know bread and butter, especially elk. You know everyone wants to know about elk opportunities, so we're really big on showing people the elk the elk states right now. And then there's just so many, like, other weird tools we can come out in ha- enhancements with. Like, that's a great thing about being online. Like, we come out with new stuff, you know, on a really consistent basis about new filtering things. Like, you want to filter by herd densities, want to filter by, you know, public-private, want to do a new state. Like, we're trying to launch California and Washington. And there's just, like, so many weird nuances in every state. So, I mean, we probably... I won't want to say never, but it's like definitely going to be quite a while till we ever covered any of those Midwest stuff. But we might jump into like you know North Dakota, South Dakota. We're trying, we're we are doing Kansas here coming up, so we are going to do some whitetail stuff in Kansas, and we do whitetail stuff in the other states. But you know Kansas is that big whitetail, whitetail area. But
2: yeah, and it's uh, um, and that's one of the things with me because you know we we have a lease in Kansas. That's one of the few places that I don't hunt public land. I mean I hunt public land a lot. Uh, Kansas is one of the few places I don't have public land. There's public land right there close to me, but we had an opportunity to get this lease several years ago at a super cheap price. And I just couldn't really pass it up. I love to hunt Kansas so much. There was no way we could pass it up. And, uh, I know I have a ton of people talk to me about the draw in Kansas and it is kind of tricky in our area because in our zone, which is zone 11 has, it's, it's mostly farmland. It has the highest density of whitetail in the state. And it has the most, it, it actually, they're, the most tags are in our unit. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's one of the hardest units to draw. So there's been years that I haven't drawn and had to get in, had to jump into the leftover tags. And what's really weird about it was used to, the first year I hunted there, you could, when the leftover tags came out, you could wait up to two weeks and get online and get that tag. Yeah. Now you've got to be sitting there with your info put in at a, at eleven fifty nine. You better have all your info in and you better be ready to hit enter at midnight, straight up and down on your computer and you hit enter and then you're just praying.
1: Yeah. That's always stressful. That's <laughs> intense.
2: I think two years ago, two years ago I was in the leftover tags and I hit enter at midnight My tag was processing. I hit it at midnight. It started processing my tag. It said, congratulations, you've purchased your Kansas leftover tag. Then a little screen came up in the corner of my deal and said, all leftover tags are now sold out in the state of Kansas. There were 1,900 leftover tags. Oh, brutal. At 12.05, all the tags were gone. And used to, we could wait up to two weeks and, get online and get a tag for any unit you wanted to and now it's a uh, but I think a lot of that's because so many of the we've got so many out of state outfitters that are that are leasing up property and because of the TV and the films and all the stuff that we've all done um mm-hmm. has brought people to want to just come into Kansas so the outfitters are really taking super heavy advantage of it um and it's not the in state out- outfitters they're still the same ones that have always been there but the same thing's happening there now that happened in Illinois a few years ago. You know, Illinois used to be the, the place to go. You had to go to Pike County. You had to go to Illinois to hunt giant whitetails. And so long as it was just the in-state outfitters that were taking care of the business out there, it was good. But as soon as the out-of-state guys got in there, they were just selling as many hunts as they could sell. And That's what's happening in Kansas now. These, a lot of these guys that are out-of-state are selling as many hunts as they can sell as fast as they can sell them on whatever size properties they can put them on. And you know, what's going to happen is, is once they shoot those properties out, they're just going to be gone. And then, you know, Kansas is not going to be that state anymore. And that's why we've been so adamant about hanging on to our property there. But um, back to the public land thing, Al, how how closely have you guys really been watching all the public land uh, stuff that's going on now? I mean, you know, I've been involved in it, pretty deeply with keep it public and J mm-hmm. and different stuff um how does all this affect you guys and what you do i know it's got to have an effect on on business your your direction and, and the way you guys are operating
1: i mean yeah because i like, west it's all about public land so like you lose those small even though people are like oh it's just a small track of public land you're losing but it's like no that sometimes that's access into more or now limiting it to the public lands behind there. So like all those public land swaps and it's never, never a good idea to, to get rid of any public land, whether it's federal state land or it's just like, then it just gets managed the wrong way. And then it just limits people for the, the access, which is the biggest thing. Like there's already so much limited access in like Montana, for example, wow. which when I was hunting there, like, yeah, which I'm sure you're familiar with all the, like the block management program ahead in Montana, where it's basically the private landowners give you access to their land to hunt on. And, it's a really good program. But then also when you be able to do that, you can access the private or the public land that's behind there. Like I was saying earlier, like that's always the biggest thing ever. Like get rid of the checkerboard thing. The checkerboard thing is so terrible in the West. It's like you get more of that. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. And all those good areas are going to be bought up, you know, by the highest bidder and it's just going to be a bidding war for these top properties. And they're going to go to, you know, limit all us from wanting to go hunt there. It's just what it all comes down to is just, need more public access everywhere in the west like that's where all our game animals are like everyone what is it 70 i don't know what i can't remember the percentage there's so many people hunt public land every year even if even if there's bigger animals on private you're still going to go to public because that's where you can get tags you know you can hunt there
2: i think it's 79 percent in the west yeah uh, i was gonna say 73 74 and i think i think it's 79 percent was the, was the, the deal i saw now uh basically Jason Shavitz in Utah is kind of one of the guys that's leading this charge. Uh, And I'm not going to pick on him because I I don't want to pick on him, but um, I don't care if I pick on him really, but I'm not going to. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I saw he posted the other day on someone's Instagram page that I'm not going to mention either was that his ideal was, and you guys may have saw this on that Instagram page. Oh, yeah. We're going to sell off some of these junk disposable public lands because we want to buy up some better land. Now, do you think that is really going to happen? I mean, does anyone out there think that's actually going to happen once that once that land's gone? Do you think they're actually going to spend the money to go buy this other spot over here and make it federal? I mean, that doesn't even sound logical to me, period. No,
1: and what's junk to some person is a treasure for another person. It's like people think, oh, all those prairie lands are worthless. Like, no, that's actually where all the antelope are. That's where all the, you know, sage grouse and whatever. It's like all those lands need to be protected for certain reasons, whether it's not hunting, but it's just like other things too, like all the recreational side of it, all like it's just a whole bad deal. That's why we can't have it in the West. can't have it anywhere, really.
2: No, anywhere. And, and not to mention what you just said a while ago, access. So mm-hmm. so much of those spots that they consider disposable are actually access points to other spots, whether it's block management. It could be an access point to a block management area. Um, it could be access point to another piece, a really good piece of, of public land that's federal that you can hunt. Um, I just... I don't know. I think I think right now, as far as hunters go, I think this is our number one battle, and I hate to say that we even have a battle. You know, I, I hate that we have to have a battle over it. But I actually watched um, the other night after the, and I, I don't watch politics. I'm not a political person, but I have gotten into it over the public land stuff. But I did turn over to CNN and Fox the other night after the the president had his State of the Union deal and. I just wanted to hear what some of the strategists were saying. Um, one of the strategists specifically said that one of this um, one of their priorities is to become the leader to where we're self-sustained in oil, we're self-sustained in in gas, we're self-sustained in coal. And where do you think where do you think they're going after to get all that? <laughs> Our lands. <laughs> I mean, they've already gotten it from everywhere they could get it for that they could pay for it. So where do you think they're going to go for it? Go after those, those resources now. You know, I mean, um, there's only one other place left for them to go after them. And I think that's they're looking at those federal public lands and those block management areas and all these places that they can go in and or what they deem disposable areas yeah. that they can go in and purchase up and, and start basically. Raping, and I say rape, they're going to go in and rape the resources because anybody that's ever seen in the South, a timber company come in and completely. Now, I was corrected one time because out in the West, I know that that clear cuts in some areas are necessary and they're actually yep. the environment um, here. When people clear cut, they just leave a nasty, gnarly mess and it's gone. It's just uh, our clear cuts in the South and in the Midwest just end up looking like a a giant junk hole. That's, you know, I mean, it, it, they're actually really cool giant bedding areas, but you can't hunt them anymore because they're so thick and grown up that you can't oh, even get them. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I, I'm pretty, uh, the, the, the public lands thing really kind of scares me. So,
1: yeah, i am got to keep it public.
2: Yeah, you got to keep
0: it public. And on that note, we are running short on time, so make sure you keep it public. Head on over to GoHunt.com if you want to check your odds on all the draws and find out the best areas to hunt. Also, like Tim said, keep it public. Go support some of these organizations like Keep It Public or Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. For the Natural Born Hunter podcast, wake up, chase your dreams, repeat.